believe, reminding us of what we belong to as a people of God. And this morning we come to the message and now the power of our faith, which is the gospel. And, and here's what I know. We live in a broken world. We live in a, a world surrounded by broken lives, broken relationships, broken hopes, and broken dreams. And how many times in everyday conversations do people around us actually talk about their problems or talk about their challenges? If we truly listen to people, we're, we'll be amazed by how often people share their heartaches with us, share their problems with us. Yet oftentimes, as we listen to them, we are, we are slow to speak ultimate truth over their lives. Meaning people are, are hurting, people are broken, people are in need of hope, which means people need good news. People need the gospel. I think of the words of the late Chuck Colson, who said this, the gospel is good news, but Jesus never said it was easy news. The central truth of the cross is death before life, repentance before reward. Before his gospel can be good news of redemption, it must be the bad news of the conviction of sin. The world in which we live today, brothers and sisters, is not just full of hurting people. It's also full of people who are easily offended. Don't know if you know that, but from safe spaces at our college universities to unconstitutional attempts to tear down free speech because of what is being said, the world around us wants us to know something, and that is this. They are offended. That's what the world around us wants to know. And it doesn't just stop out in the world. It can also be true in the church. Brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we can come to a place like this looking for an opportunity to be offended. And I can tell you, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I will offend as many as I can. And I, just because of who I am, because of my humanity, I will find a way um, in my humanity to offend. And if we come to church looking to be offended, guess what? We will be. But when we think about the world, what we do here in this place of worship, what we do, what we're called to do throughout the world is offensive to an unbelieving world. And the gospel of Christ is inerrantly offensive. John MacArthur once said this, if the truth offends, then let it offend. People have been living their whole lives in offense to God. Let them be offended for a while. So people have been living their whole lives into an offense to God. If, if the message of the gospel offends, then let it offend them. And the gospel is the most offensive message in the world, yet it is the message that we owe the world. And what I mean by that is this. In verses 14 through 17 of Romans 1, brings us to three I am statements that Paul mentions where he says, I am under obligation. He says, I am eager. And then he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel, let me just put it this way, it's the offensive debt that we owe as children of God to the world. The gospel is the offensive, the offensive debt that we as children of God owe to the world. And there are two ways that we can owe someone something. The first is if you borrow money from, from someone. So if I borrow $10,000 from you, then I owe you that money. I'm a debtor to you. 
But there's another way that we can be a debtor. If someone gives me $10,000 to give to someone else, that money isn't mine. So that $10,000 in my possession will be a, would be a debt that I owe not only to you who gave it to me, but to the person that I owe it to. And that debt hasn't been paid until that money has left my hands and entered into that person's. And Paul says that this is the case with each of us. God has given us the gospel. Meaning, the gospel has reached us, and praise God, the gospel has saved us. Therefore, he has entrusted to us the gospel for the sake of others. We owe the debt to God, but we pay it to other people, people who don't know him. He's entrusted us with the unbelievable news of telling the world what Jesus Christ has done for them. So let's again jump into this deep and amazing letter and let's see the beauty and depth of the gospel that we have been entrusted with. So today we're going to read Romans 1, 16 and 17 together. And it says this, Paul writing, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, what we have not, Lord, give it to us. What we know not, Lord, show us. And what we are not, God, make us. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump in this morning to this text, I think it's important that we define the gospel. What is the gospel? When we speak about the gospel, what are we saying? What does it mean? And let me just give you this definition. The gospel is the good news that God, who create, created everything in this world under his perfect design, has graciously and lovingly looked upon all of us, a sinful and broken people who have defied him, and because of love and in his Grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us by coming down to us. He was born of a virgin. He lived a life that we could not live, a life of total perfection that manifested the righteousness of God. And he died a death that we could not die, a death for the sins of the world, satisfying the wrath of God. And let me just pause here for a minute and say this. What was it about Jesus' death on the cross that makes it possible for everyone in this world to be saved through it? So what was it about the cross that makes it possible for everyone in this world to be saved and forgiven of their sins because of what happened on it? And this is where we need to be reminded that we are not saved from our sin because Jesus was falsely tried and because Jesus was sentenced to death by Roman persecutors. We're not saved from our sin because they put a crown of thorns upon his head. We're not saved from our sin because Jesus was beaten and mocked and scourged and spit on. We're not saved from our sin because they nailed Jesus' hands and feet to the cross and because the cross killed him. We're not even saved from our sins because of all the torture that was afflicted upon Jesus. This is where we see, brothers and sisters, that we are saved from our sin because on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that was due us. That is the message of the cross. Jesus satisfied God's wrath that was due 
us. Yet the gospel doesn't just stop at the cross or it doesn't stop in the cemetery. Jesus also conquered an enemy that we could not conquer, death and the grave, proving every claim for him and for us, making Jesus the only savior of sinners in the world. So to be saved, it means to be rescued from the wrath of God. The gospel, and please hear this, the gospel does not save us from superficial felt needs like, like loneliness. It doesn't deliver us from bad jobs. The gospel doesn't rescue us from personal insecurities or even bad relationships. The gospel rescues us and saves us from the wrath of God. There is only one who can save from God, and that is God himself. Only the power of God can rescue us from the wrath of God, and he has. And that's why the gospel is good news. Let me put it this way. The gospel is so good because the bad news is so bad. So the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. So I wanted to lay before you this morning three truths related to the gospel, related to the message of our salvation. Truth number one. The gospel has the power to save us. The gospel has the power to save us. Paul begins in verse 16 this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So the gospel is not just advice to people suggesting how they can lift themselves up or lift themselves out. The gospel is power. The gospel lifts them up. The gospel gets them out. And Paul does not say that the gospel brings power. He says that it is the power. Consider this. The gospel is the only thing in the New Testament other than Jesus himself that is referred to as the power of God. It was Dwight L. Moody who said that the gospel is like a lion. And we defend the gospel like we would defend the lion. We let it out of its cage and then we get out of its way. That is how we defend the gospel. We let it out and then we get out of its way and we let it do what it does. The gospel is power because it does what no other power on earth can do. It saves. It saves us. It reconciles us to God. It guarantees us a place in the kingdom of God forever. And Paul is saying that the gospel is not merely a concept. It's not a, a philosophy. In the gospel, words and power Come together. The gospel message is what God has done and what God will do for us. And God, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul is saying the gospel is therefore power. He doesn't say it brings power or it has power. It is power. It lifts people up. It transforms them. It changes them. Theodoret, a Syrian bishop in the 5th century, and Brother Mike and some others are going to like this, he likened the gospel to a pepper. And here's what he says, a pepper outwardly seems cold, but the person who crunches it between the teeth experiences the sensation of burning fire. In the same way he goes on, the gospel can appear at first like an interesting theory or philosophy. But if we take it in personally, we find it full of power, full of heat, power to forgive sins, power to impart new life, and power to admit into heaven. No other power on earth can do that. None. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever tried to change someone? 
Have you ever tried to change someone? I have, and it didn't work. In fact, I have a 0% success rate in changing other people. And it makes sense because I also have a 0% success rate at changing myself. So it just makes sense, but the gospel isn't like that. The gospel has a 100% success rate of changing those who hear it, who receive it, and who believe it. And it changes. It changes. Think about this. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul describes some of the people that had been changed by the gospel this way. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this, and such were some of you. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinthians saying some of you were Without a doubt, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Such were some of you. And then he says this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what changes people? What changes all kinds of people struggling with all kinds of issues? And the answer is this, the gospel does. The gospel does. The gospel changes lives. It changes people. It changes families. It changes societies. It is the most powerful force in the world. The gospel is the most powerful force in the world. What else saves sinners? Please hear this this morning, brothers and sisters. What else saves sinners? Not science, not education, not religion, not moral reformation, not even fame and fortune. Only the gospel. Only the gospel saves sinners. And then Paul says this. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. And when Martin Luther was searching for God, as he thought, and of course God was searching for him, for a long time, he thought that that expression, the righteousness of God, was a condemning righteousness. And seeing the righteousness of God as as God's standard of judgment, it drove him further away from God. It drove him to despair. However, he continued reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. And little by little, he began to understand. And finally, the day came when he saw that God gives his own righteousness to make us righteous by faith. And Martin Luther wrote the following about verse 17 of Romans 1. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. 
Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Then he says this, The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me the gate to heaven. The righteous shall live by faith. Every aspect of God's salvation comes to us by faith. By faith. And think about what comes to us. John Stott has described salvation like being a prisoner on death row who not only receives pardon, but the judge hangs around them the neck or around their neck, excuse me, the Congressional Medal of Honor, and also awards them a graduate degree from the greatest or most prestigious of universities. Everywhere this former prisoner goes, he's now greeted and welcomed as a hero who has accomplished great things and no longer as a prisoner who has done shameful things. This is what the gospel has done for us. The gospel means that there is power to save us. The good news is that the righteousness that God demands from us, by faith, he gives to us. He gives it to us. The gospel means that there's power to save us. If you're listening today and you know that you are not a child of God and Satan right now has given you a thousand or a million excuses as to why God would never save you. And you're thinking about all the things that you have done. Let me assure you today, brother or sister, wherever you might be, God's power is enough to save you. His power is enough to save you. It doesn't work for everybody else but you. It, it will work for you. It's enough. He will save you even now. Even now. The gospel means that there is power to save us. But then secondly, the gospel means that nothing can shame us. The gospel means that nothing can shame us. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Later on in 1 Timothy 1, 8-12, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So don't be ashamed of it. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in. So far from being embarrassed by the gospel, Paul is emboldened by the gospel. Paul was unashamed even though the gospel had created many scandals in Paul's life. Think about this. In Acts 16, Paul had been in prison in Philippi. In Acts 17, Paul was chased out of Thessalonica, was smuggled out of Berea, and was sneered at in Athens. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul was regarded as a fool in Corinth. In Acts 14, Paul was stoned in Galatia. But Paul remained eager to preach the gospel. And Paul clearly indicates that there will be people who will be tempted to be ashamed of this message. But think about the reality of shame. When Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul experienced true shame. Because he realized in that moment for the first time that all the things that he had lived his life for had led to rebellion against God. And there was shame heavy, eternal shame in that. Imagine coming face to face with Christ and realizing every ounce, every fiber of your being have, has been lived against him. It's been lived as an enemy of him. There would be shame in 
that. Paul came face to face with Jesus and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I can just imagine in that moment, Paul came face to face with real shame. But brothers and sisters, Jesus covered his shame. Therefore, the gospel does not ultimately add shame to our lives. It takes it away. So the gospel removes our shame from our lives because it doesn't matter how other people see us. God sees us as covered in his blood and justified by him forever. We have gone from being rejected by God to being accepted by God. And now when that transformation happens in our lives, no No matter what the world says about the gospel, we are no longer ashamed of it. Jesus Christ has taken our shame upon himself. And as a result, by the power of God, we are able to stand and say, I am nowhere near ashamed of what Jesus has done for me. Not ashamed of what he's done for me. And this this hits at the heart of of witnessing, doesn't it? There should, be, there should be no shame in sharing this gospel. Now, yes, the gospel will cause offense because it reveals to people that they cannot change themselves. It reveals to people that there is a need that they cannot meet. And so people will be offended by it. And because of that, there will always be temptation for us to be ashamed of it. Yet we need to remember, never forget that it is the power of God. It reveals God's righteousness, and the gospel is the way by which we receive his righteousness. This is what fundamentally reverses our attitude in sharing the gospel. Let me just say this. The the opposite of of being ashamed is not willingness. It's eagerness. So we become eager when we know the truth. The wonder and the, the power of the gospel has so deeply been ingrained in our hearts that we herald it not because we ought to not because we have to but because we want to because we love to we're eager to and we're eager to share the gospel even in hard places and what i mean by that is this rome was the most idolatrous immoral and incestuous place in the known world at this time yet despite how dark it was Paul was eager to go to it and to share the gospel in it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where is your Rome? Where is the places that we find it hardest to be a witness? Let me say a weird, it's going to be a weird statement, but it's true. It is so much easier to get on a plane and go 10 hours, 5 hours away, spend a week in a different context and share the gospel there than it is to be right in your area of influence and share the gospel right where you live. It is so hard. It's hard to share the gospel with family members who know us, who've watched us, who've seen all the mistakes we make, or other friends. It's hard to do that. But brothers and sisters, here's the reality. This is where God has placed us. God has placed us here. For the sake of those around us who do not know him. The gospel means that nothing can shame us. Don't let other people's response to the gospel shame you. Don't let their attitude towards the gospel shame you. For it is still and will always be the power of God unto salvation. For all who believe. 
So brothers and sisters, the gospel means that there is power to save us. The gospel means that nothing can shame us. And third, the gospel means that nothing can stop us. The gospel means that nothing can stop us. And this is where it gets really good. I want you to turn back one page with me to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28. So right before Romans 1. And here's a little background. The whole book of Acts, from Acts 13 to Acts 28, is a story of Paul going on one missionary adventure or journey after another. He goes to different cities. He proclaims the gospel to all kinds of people. And things are rough. Things are tough for Paul. He is run out of many cities. And yet he keeps going forward. So what happens is that Paul is writing the book of Romans from a city called Corinth. And he writes this letter to them. He seals it to them. He sends it off. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to take an offering to the churches there. And then I'm going to come to Rome. and I'm going to meet you. So that's exactly what he does. But the only problem is when he gets to Rome, he's accused of being a blasphemer and a lawbreaker. And he's arrested. And through the court system, it just so happens that he gets sentenced to go to Rome of all places. So finally, he gets to Rome, but it wasn't quite under the circumstances that he probably thought it would be. What I mean by that is this. What we've got in Acts 28 is Paul in Rome where he wanted to be, but yet he is here under house arrest. He's here as a prisoner. I want us to listen to how the book of Acts ends. So book of Acts 28, verses 30 and 31 says this. He lived there for two whole years. So for two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And hear this, and without hindrance. The last word in the original language of the book of Acts is the words or two words translated without hindrance. It literally means unhindered, unstoppable, unobstructed. So what's the message here for us? And it's this. The gospel of Jesus Christ knows no hindrances. It doesn't matter what kind of opposition comes from the world. Nothing, not communism, not socialism, not secularism, not atheism is an obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop this gospel. God says, you may think you see hindrances before you, but I see none. God says, I don't need money. I don't need an army to, to, uh, for my plan to come into being. I only need humble messengers to take my word out, and my word will do the work. His word will do the work. Nothing can stop this word when this word is proclaimed. But let me put one more uh, slide up on the screen. I want you to hear this. Nothing, nothing can stop the spread of the gospel in the world except for our unwillingness to share it. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel throughout our world except for our unwillingness to share it. Brothers and sisters, this gospel must spread through us. Don't let it stop with us. Be confident today 
The gospel has gone forward for 2,000 years and it will continue to go forward unhindered. You can't stop the gospel of God. It's unstoppable. Oh, to God that we would demonstrate to our communities that Jesus is the hope of the world and he is the world's only hope. That we would demonstrate to the world in which we live that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. And may we never, may we never let the world's rejection of the gospel shake our confidence in the gospel. Don't let the world's rejection of the gospel shake your confidence in the gospel. For it is still and will always be the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Let me just say this in closing, brothers and sisters. When we, the people of God, are filled with the Spirit of God and proclaim the gospel of God, it will work. It will work. It will do what God intended for it to do. And Isaiah 55 says, God's word will not return void. Every time we share the word of God, something is happening. Now, it doesn't mean God's word will not return void, meaning every time we, we share it, people are always going to respond the way we want them to. No, the, the word of God not only brings people to salvation, the word of God also hardens people unto condemnation. But every time that we share the gospel, it is doing its job. It is working. It is bringing people breaking their hearts, bringing people to see their need of Jesus Christ, or it is hardening their hearts unto condemnation by which they will never be able to look at us and say, you didn't tell me. Oh, to God that we would see a greater need and have a greater desire to open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. Share, share with people the hope that we have. This is probably the most darkest time in our nation's history when you think about people who just don't have hope or never in a time have people put their hope in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue like they are in today's world. And we even today need to tell people there's no hope for us there. That is not the hope of the world. The hope for the world is Jesus. And he will continue to be he is our message. He is our hope. He is our Savior forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time today, and thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel, the power, your power unto salvation for all who believe. And Lord, I pray today for any who are listening, God, who don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they hear your word. They hear the gospel. And in hearing the gospel, their, their hearts are torn open. They realize that there is a need in their life that they can't fulfill, that they can't fix. And they would look to you, Jesus, the only Savior of sinners in the world, to do for them what only you can. They would call out to you for salvation. And Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or may they turn from their sin, turn from trusting in themselves, and turn to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for others, Lord, who are listening. Men and women. Young people of the faith. And yet, we're people of the faith, and yet we're living ashamed lives. 
we're living as if, God, you've given us a message that just brings shame to us and to others. And the reality is, Lord, this message doesn't, yes, it produces a, a shame of guilt in us for a moment, but, Lord, as we receive it, it removes that shame for us. This gospel doesn't add to our shame. It takes it away. Lord, help us to Lord, share it more, to have confidence in it regardless of how people respond to it. If it saves and saved us, Lord, it can save others. It will save others. Help us to trust it more. Fathers, we about to leave this time, we pray that you would allow us, God, wisdom to move forward. Over the, the next days and the next weeks, Lord, give us the wisdom in moving forward as a faith family. That we can once again gather together as your people for your glory. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that it has been good to be in this place of worship. Do we have a special guest, Mike? I want to say thank you to our special guest. Um, he sat quietly. He was a very good boy. And with, with that said, hope you guys have a great week. Um, hope to give you more information about our plans moving forward. Um, in the days ahead. Love you guys. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be getting a letter from that one. We, we might get shut down by... by... <laughs> we might get shut down by YouTube, Mike. You think so? We'll see. Uh, well, praise the Lord.